Hello, and welcome to the Personal Wealth Coach, the podcast. Uh, this is Jake McClure, and on the line with me I have... Jeff McClure. Together, we're both the principals at an SEC-registered investment advisory firm and the co-hosts of this very podcast that you are listening to. Boom, boom, boom. But uh, the, the firm that is registered with the SEC is the Personal Wealth Coach. But wait a minute, isn't that the name of this, this podcast as well? It is, and that's not coincidental. Uh, just because we're registered with the SEC doesn't mean that they've given us any thumbs up. They don't do that. Uh, they haven't given us a thumb down either. They do that. <laughs> um, the data that we talk about today, do you want to give the deem word? We, the, the information that we present on this podcast has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable. However, we make no warranty or guarantee as to its completeness or accuracy. You memorize that at some point in your life, and it just flows so trippingly from your tongue. I, and you always get the opportunity to say three words that are generally not in the lexicon of day-to-day -day English, which are deem, warranty, and guarantee. I mean, those are not words that are get you, you... But we use redeem. We do use redeem. Yeah, so we do. You have to use the deem in order to get to the redeem. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. So, so uh, we're deeming our information sources to be reliable, but that doesn't make them so. Um, we're also not offering investment advice on the podcast. This is educational content. Even though we just said it's an SEC registered investment advisory firm, we, have, we actually have to know who you are to give you good advice. That is one of the definitions of being a fiduciary. So instead, we're going to be offering some educational information. And the topic of the day is long-term investing. What is it? What does it mean? How do you do it? How do you not do it? That's maybe more important. And uh, you had a piece in your book that I say to every single new client that I get. And What's that? Uh, the definition of the word invest, of the word capital, of the word speculate. Um, those are words that I, uh, uh, you shouldn't expect to receive a profit unless you create value. So the word invest, and I, I have gone through this just as a side note. You, you set me on this path years ago um, in your book, but uh, I go in depth on this in two words, and I've got clients had clients that have had PhDs in economics and in statistics and in physics. And when I ask them the definition of the very simple words that make up the word invest, I have yet to get it right, a, right, a correct definition from them. But when I ask the same definition of a five-year-old, I get it right almost every time. What's and that? That's the word invest. So what does the word in mean? And of course, in to a Inside, yeah. Most people, I don't want people to give me the perfect Webster's Dictionary uh, rules of definition response, but not out, in. Okay, vest. What? This is the tough one. This is the one that the sophisticated people get way too sophisticated with and then they get the answer wrong versus a five-year-old who gets it right. What is a vest? Of course, you know this answer. It's a piece of clothing. And I usually go down the, 
this kind of analogy of imagine any uniform, whether that's a UPS, FedEx, uh, grocery store uniform, um, just fill in the blank uniform. Why is it more shocking if somebody is got a can of spray paint and they're tagging the side of a building and they're wearing a UPS uniform or a Catholic priest vestment? Why is that shocking? And I've had so many different answers on that. I, the, the most common answer I get, well, I guess it shouldn't be more shocking. It's just, you know, it is, but I, it shouldn't be because there's still people. That is the most common answer I get. And I say, then why is it shocking? If it shouldn't be shocking, why is it shocking? And they scratch their head a little bit. And then they, then they saw, say the correct answer. Well, I just expect more of them when they're wearing that uniform. Investment on the surface of it has zero to do with money. Nothing to do with money. It has to do with clothes, but clothes that are really important. And this is, you know, I, I tell this to people. It, if, if a stranger walks into the room with you and says, take off your clothes, hopefully in 99% of the cases where that might happen, you don't do it. But if they're wearing a long white jacket, you may actually do it. You're going to take your clothes off for a complete stranger because those clothes have meaning and it is literally illegal to go to a hospital in a long white jacket if you're not a doctor. Wait a minute, what happened to freedom of speech? This is the same category as yelling fire in a crowded theater. There is an implicit trust associated with that set of clothing. Uh, in, in legal ceremonies, you, you were an army officer. What was the name of the ceremony in which you took your oath? An investiture. Well, it's called a swearing-in. An investiture is, is like when a president of a Rotary Club or something is invested. It, in. is, it may be called a swearing-in, just like um, most people when I ask them what a graduation ceremony is. Say, what is a graduation ceremony? What is the, what is the original title for a graduation ceremony? And, and uh, they will say, is it a commencement? Nope, no, that just means the opening of the ceremony. It's an investiture. Weird clothes, and when you took your oath of office, being an officer, that was an investiture. You were wearing special clothes. They gave you even more special clothes to wear on that oath ceremony. Investment means that you become something else, something bigger, something greater. You weren't what you are no longer what you were. And that's true in a, in a graduation ceremony where everybody's wearing renaissance clothing from central italy from you know this mid 1600s why is that well because it's an investiture you're being given a rite of passage a level up uh you are now in a in a distinctly difficult group of people to be in and what does that have to do with money uh well when you invest money it's not money anymore and you said something right before we got started about the, um, there's there's long-term investment, and then there's what else you do is not investment. <laughs> uh, and I think that's because you haven't converted it out of being money. It's it's still money, and that's bank accounts or... Uh, well, it's long-term. If it's short-term, it's speculation, which is a form of gambling. Gambling is what... And gambling is what deer 
baby deer do when they're playing. It's playfulness. You're playing the money. You're playing with the money. No, oh, they say play the market. Yeah. And whereas investing means converting your money into capital, changing its very nature and leaving it there for a long period of time. You, you know, in in the Roman in the Roman Empire, do you know what they called the soldiers? Investments. Oh, yeah. They called really? them investments. Yeah, because they were in uniform. Do you know what they called the scouts? Speculators. That was the title of the scout in the Roman Legion because they went out and looked at things. They weren't part of it. They were looking. They were, and this is true today. If you look at uh, the most advanced elite scout type forces in the U.S. military, you see pictures of them. If you get a picture of them, they are distinctly not in uniform. They're speculators. Now that's a. If you are an elite, you can be very successful at that. But it is still the most dangerous job in the military. Uh, and that's kind of the spectrum. If you want to get into speculating, into gambling, you're either playing or just watching. But if you want to be an, a real investor, you become part of what you own. And I think the, those definitions carry with them a great deal of extra meaning and weight to the words. Investment doesn't just mean I got a statement from some firm that says I have money because reality is those statements say that I have money, but it's an estimate of value. It's not having money. It's an estimate of what the thing is worth. Now I got those definitions out of the way and I know you have a whole, you've, you've been talking to clients this week about a lot of things that are kind of tickling the back of your mind in, in this subject. I do. Well, yeah, you were sent, you're the one that chose this conversation. Dude, it wasn't a question. The point is that investing is long-term, and it doesn't mean that you jump out and jump in. It is something you commit to for a long period of time, and you have to choose very carefully when you commit. Just like if you were be invested of the mayor as the mayor of a given town, it's not something you you going to do short-term and then get out. At least I hope not. If you if you were, it would decrease your value in the community it would decrease the value that people gave to your reputation in the community and it's important that people understand the difference between speculation and investment speculation is i'm going to buy it and watch it uh, i've watched this thing and i think i'm going to buy some because i think it'll go up it's kind of like the term the market is going up the market is never going anywhere it's not going up it's not going down it may have gone up in value it may have gone down in value but it's never going anywhere Hold on, you're, you're, this is a very tense conversation. Get it? Tense, future, past. Get it? You see what I did there? It's very tense. Yeah. The important thing to remember if you're going to be a successful investor is you ha you develop a strategy and understand why you're buying what you're buying. When you buy it, your money is converted to capital and you leave it alone. And it's entirely possible that you'll buy into the market just at the wrong time with at least some of your money, and the market will probably begin, probably begin to fall and the value begins to fall. Rather than stopping at that point, the key is to keep on investing small amounts of money. Why? Because the lower the market goes, the cheaper it gets, the better it is, the better investing gets. But we don't feel that way about it. We feel very counter to that. Going with your feelings is the worst thing you can do when you invest. If you feel like the market is going up and you feel like you make a lot of money if you get in the market, there's a very high probability that you're that you're about to see the market go down. 
On the other hand, if you commit to an investment over a long period of time, because you believe in the underlying value of the investment or the underlying value of the economy, you have a remarkably good history. In history, you have a remarkably, remarkably good chance of carrying, coming away with a very nice profit when you sell it in the future, presuming that sale is about 10 years or more out. Now, there have been a few times when it's taken more than 10 years to achieve, even in a well-diversified portfolio, to achieve a gain. Obviously, one of them was 1929. Uh, other ones would be 1973, uh, 2000, 2007. There have been some times when it's really rough to make a gain. But the point is, even those people who invested at those times, 10 or 15 years later, look around and say, that was really good. If they hang around for 10 to 15 years, on the other hand, if they get out while the market is lower than when they got in, they're very unhappy about it, and they probably will be very unhappy for the rest of their lives. It's not the getting in that causes – it's not the investing that causes people to lose money. It's the divesting, the getting out, the liquidating at the appropriate, inappropriate time. Right. Now, there's, there's exceptions to that. There was never a good time to buy Exxon. I suppose if you bought early and you bailed I, out while still high. Well, I mean, if but for investor, if you were, I don't know, in the 1930s, it may have been a great time to buy uh, not what Ex became Exxon. I'm sorry, I meant uh, Enron. Enron. Okay. Well, there was a good time to buy Enron back when yeah. it was profitable and it was a real profitability thing, but. <laughs> But they, <laughs> the last decade that they were around, they weren't profitable. They built their profit around a false concept, but you didn't know that, obviously, if you were investing in it. On the other hand, had you bought 100 stocks similar to Enron or similar in size to Enron at the same time, when Enron failed, you would have been would have been a very minor thing to you. So the other side of investing that's really, really important is diversification. And there's some other things that are important about investing, too, and that is uh, and we can talk about that a lot more. And that is having a plan for when the market does go down. Yeah. Not if. Not if the market goes down, but when the market goes down, because it happens. When you need your money, you need your money. And if you put, let's say you have $100,000 and that's all the savings you have and you put it in the market. And you think I'm going to take it out in, in increments and then I'm going to take it out in the near future or part of it out in the near future to pay for a college education. You just have probably you may be lucky and come out ahead, but there's a good chance that you'll be unlucky and not come out ahead. And whenever luck plays a role in your investing strategy, you are probably doing the wrong thing. Yeah, I think that is. I mean, you get back into that gambling context again, where what the baby deer are doing, what the fawns are doing, gambling about in the meadow. That's not a good idea at work. And it's not a good idea anywhere else where you're expecting to make a profit unless your profit is for playing games. And there are some people that make their profit doing that, literally gambling in some cases. Uh, there are professional poker players that I would not advise to stop playing poker because they have a great deal of skill in that area. There are professional sports players, but they don't approach their game as a game, they are very businesslike about it. So even the concept of a sport game, a gambling game, when they're doing it professionally, it's not a game anymore. It becomes something they may love to do it, but it's not a game. It's kind of like, you know, 
when you have an instrument and you pick it up and you start making music on it, that's called playing. But that doesn't mean it's a game. It is, uh, it is something different. And a professional musician certainly doesn't treat it like a game. Uh, when you're getting into the investment world, particularly if a big chunk of your life is going to be dependent of your, your income and a big chunk of your life is going to be dependent on what you make playing this game, you need to treat, treat it like a business. You need to treat it like, I mean, if I was starting a business and I had this money to put into it and I'm the master of my future, I have the potential of really messing up, but I also have the potential to control a lot of risks because I'm directly involved. You either need to get in that mindset or have a fiduciary who's going to be in that mindset for you. And that's kind of the underlying thing. There's a lot of principles to investing that make it real and long-term. You know, early on in my career, I said owning a home isn't investing. And I disagree with myself now. Uh, I, I disagree with my past self. Owning a home is investing. It's just not investing with the hope of making a huge profit. Some people might have that hope, but that's not what a house is for. What is a house for? It's for living in. And you've invested in that to save you money or at least to prevent you from losing money, which is in essence saving money on renting. It is If you're going to be in a house for a long period of time, it's a far better prospect for yourself to own it rather than to rent it because the money that you put into it, you at least have some potential of getting a chunk of it back where in rental, you don't have a chance of getting anything but the deposit back. And even in that case, you might get a nice haircut on it. Uh, I, I guess the underlying thing here is that investment means converting the money into an asset, into capital. And capital, we've talked about two Latin words so far, invest and speculate. And then there's capital. This is another Latin word. And this is not one that a five-year-old would know. Capital means head. So we take money, we put clothes on it, and we turn it into head. Uh, That doesn't make any sense. Except that, as you have told me, the very purest form of investment is education. Every dollar that goes into education should provide some form of knowledge that you hold in your head so that you can go out and make a living. Capital is the same, has the same root word as capable. Uh, the capital of a country and capital in the monetary sense. It's the same word. It means head. It means the ability to do something. You've converted cash into capability. And you do that by investing. And you you can have a business where you have no assets, but you have a lot of work. Uh, and so you hire a workforce. And hopefully you're going to hire people that know how to do what you're hiring them to do. That's capabilities. You directly converted that money by investing it into capability. You spent the money to get the capability to make a profit. That's true investment. You shouldn't expect to make money You shouldn't expect to make a profit unless you have the capability of adding value that people are willing to pay for. And that is, if I could underline that nine times and make it bold, I would. Uh, Profit comes from, reliable profit comes from adding value that people wish to buy. 
Uh, you don't get it in any other sense. If you think you do, try going to work sometime and then not adding value and see how long you have the job. Uh, I feel like I'm monologuing here. Do you want to add some stuff? You got a point. And the important thing to remember about long-term investing is it's long-term. We've had a, I've seen a lot of people over the years who've done very, very well in investing when they, in their retirement accounts, who've been at it for decades and they want to credit. For instance, if, if they've been my client for many, many years, they want to give me credit for it. And I tell them that the credit may, we may have done a reasonable job of finding the right things to invest in. But they did the they did the lion's share of the work because when the market went down, they didn't get out. And that's so, so, so crucially important. And to not try to guess when to enter the market, when to leave the market. John Templeton, who I used to be able to say John Templeton said and, and assume that listeners were instantly know who he was. But he was probably one of the greatest investors of the 20th century. He started his major investments for the first time in 1938. And he did it because the Germans invaded Poland and the market crashed. He realized that a war was coming. Obviously, World War II was in the brewing. It wasn't called World War II by then, but it was going to come. He went out and did the only time in his life he ever borrowed money. He borrowed $10,000. And he took that $10,000 and set about buying 100 shares of the cheapest stocks on the New York Stock Exchange one at a time. Till he ran out of money and eventually he became a billionaire and a well, knight he's not just john templeton he's sir john, sir john templeton. templeton and and he did the whole point is that he said some he said some things along the way that are that are like some of the things that warren buffett says has said and he's he's the equivalent of warren buffett only he was in the 20th century one of the things he said is the best time to invest your money is when you have it agreed and a lot of people come across or they inherit or, or they have a significant amount of money or they have a few thousand dollars or a few tens of thousands of dollars. And they say, I'm going to wait until a better time to invest. Well, there is no better time to invest than that moment when they have it. Uh, he did some comparisons uh, 30 years later of people who had invested at the top of the market, and people who invested at the bottom of the market. And there really isn't a significant difference because to give you a little perspective on this, in 1987, there was a stock market crash that is still remembered by some of us. And the market plunged all the way down to, I don't remember, I, got, I probably got the numbers all wrong now. But it was, yeah, it, it plunged all the way down to about 1,300. And that's the Dow? Yeah, and it started at something near 2,000 and plunged all the way down to 1,300. I think 1,380, and I may be wrong on that number. But the point is, he said that people should invest now. And when he said that on television, it was considered to be shocking because everybody considered the Great Depression to be about to be repeated, and this was a terrible time to invest. And he said that by the end of the 20th century, the Dow Jones Industrial Average would be at least 10,000. Well, he was right, only it was 12,000. The point is that the Dow Jones Industrial Average, as we make this podcast, has passed through 30,000 and has kept going. So even if you'd invested at the top of the market in the 1990s at 10 or 12,000, you don't have to be a mathematical expert to figure out that the difference between ten or twelve thousand and thirty thousand is a lot. 
Yeah. And that doesn't get evidence. And, and that, that, the crash in 87 was, a, at that point, the single largest percentage point drop in the history of the market. It dropped 22.6% in one day. And people were terrified. But the market was recovered by the end of the year. No, it wasn't. Not by the end of the year. It was next year before it recovered. Okay. Well, within, within a year. I, that, that may be a better way of approaching that. Uh, and that's not to say that it always recovers that fast. But when we look at history, we get, obviously, we get the advantage of 2020 hindsight to look back and say, oh, well, that was a great time to invest. It doesn't feel that way when you've got your gorge rising in your throat because your portfolio has just dropped. But the reality is if you're throughout history, if you've been well diversified in high quality stuff, even mediocre stuff, and just hold on to it for this long, long period of time, mediocre, well diversified portfolios have done quite well over this time period. A little correction there. It took two years to recover. Two, two years. Okay. Yeah. Um, but we still refer to this. I mean, it's still called Black Monday. It's still something that is, we look back as this major, major thing. I've got, I've got someone that I know that was, you know, uh, people tend to brag to us about their performance when they're not clients. They come to us and they, they want to tell us how well they did or their decision-making criteria or why they did what they do. I don't know why that is. Maybe the same thing happens to doctors. I don't know. Uh, but this particular person told me, this is back in 2018, two years ago as of the date of this podcast. The end of 2018, we had a pretty good downturn in the market. Um, the the S and P 500, we refer to this as the SPX a lot, was up at about 2,900, running around in that range, and it dropped all the way down to 2,400. So 500 point drop. That's a big drop. And this guy tells me, you know, I was gonna put my money in. But with the market down, I don't want to put my money in now. I think it's got more down to go. Well, this was in December. And that was the bottom of the market. He didn't know that. I didn't know that at the time. And my re response to him was, well, you should do what you feel comfortable with. But, you know, historically, we've had a lot of downturns. I wouldn't be concentrated in anything. But well-diversified portfolios, it really, you just put it in when you have the money don't try to time it. Well, he's still holding on to that money in cash. Now the market, the SPX, the S&P 500, is up at thir almost 3,700. It was down at 2,400. 37,000. 30, it's up about 30,000. No, you're talking the Dow. I said the SPX. Oh, SPX, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Um, so just... Because I don't use the Dow very often unless we're looking back into the 1980s or the 1920s. It's really good for back then, but it's 30 stocks where the S&P 500 is 500. So it's, it's, more, it's more broadly representative of the market. That's why we use it. Um, right. And, and this fellow that was, I mean, he's been burned in the market in the past, and this is why he's scared. The reality is that if you're afraid of the market, you probably shouldn't be in it. Unless you're willing to educate yourself on the subject thoroughly and get comfortable with the fact that, as we said before, the market goes down. Historically, it's a lot more up than down, but throughout that time period, there are a lot of downturns. 
Now, there's an exception to that, and that is if you're investing in an individual stock. We're talking about the market. We're talking about a diversified portfolio that has all kinds of different stocks and maybe even bonds in it. In that, you treat that very differently than you do an individual stock. For example, I had a client once who uh, owned a bunch of PI stock. And uh, I Te- suggest Texas Instruments. Yeah. to diversify because it uh, the TI stock, I, I researched TI, I was a stockbroker at the time, and it didn't look too healthy. And I suggested he diversify into a diversified portfolio. And he said, no, he's going to wait for it to get back above $100 a share again because it once been at 100 and he thought about selling and he didn't sell. And he was going to wait for it to get back above $100 a share. Now, that was about 25 years ago, and I suspect he's still waiting because it's never been back up there. So individual stocks, it's a different issue. We don't talk about investing in individual stocks because literally investing in an individual stock is speculation because there's no telling when something's going to happen. I mentioned Exxon a little earlier. And the reason I mentioned that is Exxon uh, has been declining over the last, basically declining over the last decade. It's had a few small gains, but the gains have been less than inflation. So if you, Exxon, which was a steady generally considered the bluest of the blue chips for many, many years, even decades, has been declining for more than 10 years now, and this year is down 43%. Hanging on to Exxon forever probably is a good way to lose a lot of money. Yeah, well, I mean, this is we're, we're in the middle of an industrial shift here. Um, U.S. Leather was at one time an incredibly large company. But technology moved away from leather. You know, leather was the number one source of energy transmission on the planet uh, during the steam age. What do you mean by that? Energy trans belts on machines were made out of leather. And it was replaced, and Exxon profited greatly by replacing U.S. leather as a means of energy transmission and a means of energy creation. But now as we're moving on to newer technologies, this is one of those things that you got to be nimble. You got to be spry. You got to look at things and say, all right, this is an old technology. You may have profitability for a long time. But, you know, just a few years ago, it was the largest company on the planet. And it is not even in the top 10 now. In fact, there's a solar company that's bigger than it now. Uh, And that's not even the biggest oil company anymore, Benny, by any stretch of the imagination. It's about number six to eight. And we're not saying Exxon is going away this decade. We don't know. But the reality is that the prospects of new technology replacing it, unless they spend a lot of money on this new technology, they may hang around like IBM has. But the reality is that unless they change the way General Electric did or the way Apple did in when it was in this downturn they're forever going to be, uh, used to be a great company. And that's, that's the reality. We're, we're almost out of time for this. Um, there's so much to talk about on the subject. We um, want to tell them how to get a hold of us if they want to talk. If you'd like to talk to us personally, and uh, we certainly welcome your, your emails and even your telephone calls. Uh, we, do, uh, we do advise people with, who are higher net worth and manage portfolios for them. And we have a local telephone number in Central Texas. It is 254-947-1111. Or you can reach that same line toll-free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. 
You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. And we've got a contact form there, or you can listen to podcasts uh, or links to the podcasts. Uh, you can listen to our radio program, which goes back quite a few years. Uh, you can sign up for our newsletter, and you can email us directly at jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. Until next time, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.